Hi, my name is Alex Evans, and this is Composer's Concepts. This episode I had a great chat with Rich Freerland. We talked about his musical influences growing up and how he was introduced to electronic music. As well, how his writing process is constantly changing and improving for each project. We also talked about the films he worked on with David Robert Mitchell and how he landed doing the music for Fez. Let's head over to that conversation now. Thank you, Rich, for uh, joining me on the show. Um, just starting out, uh, for people who aren't uh, familiar with you, I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of information on you know, your background and how you got into music and, and what you do in the music industry. Sure. So um, uh, I am uh, from uh, New York City originally, and um, I grew up in a musical family. Um, my, my first passion was graphic design, and I only got into music in high school, I started playing guitar and writing music. And then when I was away at college for design, I decided that music was a better path for me. And so I dropped out and I went to Berkeley College of Music and um, uh, sort of stumbled into doing music for games. Um, a friend uh, recommended me for for a project um, and uh, did some internships while I was at Berkeley. Started going to like game conventions, started playing concerts did live shows for about seven or eight years and um yeah i've been doing uh music and sound and implementation for games since then and <clears throat> along the way got got into film and tv as well through just um people uh having played uh, games that i worked on awesome um what kind of uh like what kind of music would you say has influenced you growing up and and, and into today like what sort of stuff do you like to pull from yeah, so when I was growing up, um, my I was surrounded by like the Beatles and um, Joni Mitchell. Every Christmas, we'd listen to the Vince Guaraldi, uh, Charlie Brown mm-hmm. Christmas album, um, George Winston, um, and then uh, my dad was into Queen and Led Zeppelin, and so yeah, it was a lot of like. It was a lot of 60s and 70s um, stuff. Uh, and then as I, you know, became a teenager I, and I started playing guitar, I got really into guitar, like contemporary guitar music. Um, so at the time, that was really, that was new metal. So I got, I got into, I got into like Creed and Linkin Park and all that kind of stuff. But then kind of like, as I was uh, going through high school, I got more into bands like Tool, Radiohead, and Rage Against the Machine. Um, and then kind of had some friends who were more, uh, just, you know, knew more music than I did and kind of introduced me to bands like Yes and King Crimson. Um, and, you know, later on, I probably when I was like 18 or 19, I got, I was introduced to minimalism and Steve Reich and, um, got to, got to see music for 18 musicians live at Carnegie Hall, which was probably one of the most, um, influential uh events that happened to me musically um and yeah just kept kind of like seeking out new new you know new things got really into impressionism and stravinsky um and then in the last couple of years i've gotten into i've gotten into like bossa nova and um um 
Yeah, and I would say like the last year or so, I haven't been listening to as much music, but that's a pretty good, it's a pretty good uh, sum summary of, of what mm. I've been into. How does uh, like with you know most of the music you listed was all sort of you know acoustic instrument or acoustic music and you know uh, like you said like new metal and stuff like that. So how did the uh, how did the connection to like the electronic side of things happen for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So it actually started through video game music, like classic video game music. Um, mm-hmm. When I was probably 17 or 18, I discovered that there are these communities of people who are really into um, old school video game music and not just the original uh, stuff, but recreating it, creating arrangements and covers and also using the old hardware to create new music. And so I was really inspired by that. And I had already sort of had a trajectory with music, which was more oriented towards doing like progressive rock or progressive metal type stuff. And um, when I kind of, when I stumbled into the video game stuff, it sort of like, it led me down a different path because the barrier to entry for that was lower, at least, metaphorically like the you could you could sort of emulate the sound of like you know like an old nintendo soundtrack um pretty pretty easily um like it wouldn't be super authentic or whatever but i mean i i went from like spending you know a month or something trying to like finalize a piece of music to just churning out music like every day or two i was just like writing music and using these really primitive synthesizers like mostly just like square waves back then and then Mm -hmm. like some acoustic drum samples and so it really sort of kick-started my creativity compositionally and musically and got me really um it made me really prolific um and it also allowed me to focus on composition and not focus on production and so mm-hmm. i picked up production over time um as i got more comfortable writing music it, it be, it's something that sort of fell into place for me and so like all of my really synth heavy music is sort of like originates from writing chiptune music um that's sort of my background but i also studied synthesis when i went to berkeley so that that helped a lot too okay awesome sweet um have you have you ever been out to see like uh video games live they came to my town once and it was it was pretty crazy yeah i saw them in boston they played uh when i was in college i think i went i went to see them um Mm. yeah it was pretty cool I mean, I, I always I always want them to play this different stuff than they play, but I understand why they play the things that they play. Uh, yeah, yeah. They play the most popular stuff, which makes sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, hmm. I wish they'd play some, like, weird stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, with, with the synth-based stuff, are you still primarily using Massive for your stuff now, as far as the synth stuff is concerned? Yeah, I still use Massive a lot. Um, I actually tried to, to use Massive X and... Um, uh, I've got a, got like a like a demo copy to to mess with, and I was having some really bad like uh, glitches with it, so mm-hmm. I couldn't really get into it. So I kind of just went back to using Massive. Um, yeah. I've also gotten like I've I've gotten a lot deeper into using samples and granular and like building my own sort of like elaborate contact patches and stuff like that over the mm-hmm. last like five years or so. Um, awesome. But I I would like to someday perhaps build my own synthesizer because i never really i never really found one that did all the things i wanted it to do yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask i was curious if like there was ever a future or a, a night or a plan for developing like a soft synth or even hardware synth yeah for uh for, like for, from 
from yourself. So, because you, I mean, that would be super awesome. I would just need to find like a good a good partner to work on it with. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, what, what's what does like your your writing process look like? Uh, I mean, I I saw a video on YouTube there. There was like sort of your process with uh approaching like the writing the music for fez and stuff like that but is that is that sort of your a same similar approach for for a lot of stuff or how, how is your approach honestly it's so specific to the track i mean even that even that workshop video is just like one it's one of like maybe you know seven or eight different processes that i use on that soundtrack mm. um there was a lot of music on that soundtrack that was actually snippets of ideas that i had come up with earlier um, mm-hmm. most of, most of which on the piano. Um, and so, um, that's, that's one like large element of my process is, is reusing old material and like transcribing old piano sketches, um, into a DAW, which has actually been motivation for me to maybe get like a disc your piano, something that I can, you know, use like an acoustic piano as a MIDI controller. This way I can capture kind mm-hmm. of the performances. Um, but you know, I'm also like I have a limited sort of range as far as like my performance chops. And so that that's always compelled me to branch out into other avenues of uh, creative process. Um, mm. So I've developed lots of like little like musical software trinkets that do different things. And I like to come up with like sort of like unintuitive like, processes for music or like little systems and stuff just to like shake things up and try to Mm. get new music out of me um and then you know i also play guitar so that can be that can be a nice like mix up nice change of pace um there was a period of time where i just like i inputted all the notes like manually one by one Mm -hmm. um i've done i've done tracks where i i hummed sort of like a contour like a rhythmic and melodic contour and then i use that as sort of the foundation of a piece of music so i'm always like experimenting with um the process and trying to figure out like new new ways that will bring out just different sides of my creativity awesome cool um yeah so how, like, how do you think that like your sound has developed over time as well i mean myself at least i i find that your your music is you know very unique and recognizable like sort of listening to i mean primarily your chiptune stuff um you know it's it's pretty pretty evident that it's you know that it's your music so i was just curious how uh how you've developed that sound over time yeah i think um it's a very natural process um i would hear things that i really i really liked and i would i guess internalize those things and then when i was writing i would they would just come out because they became part of my like they became part of my my um my hearing like feedback loop you know like Mm -hmm. i'd hear things uh new things that i'd heard in in other music and i'd I'd sort of like um grab onto those and add them to my to my my palette and so that's always been the case um and on some projects like under the silver lake which is this orchestral um project that i worked on a film that Mm -hmm. uh is sort of a film noir um the the main reference point was bernard herman's music and i never i had never listened to it before Mm-hmm. Um, for that project, I went back and listened. I, I watched a bunch of movies he scored, and kind of just, just, just like intern was able to internalize this like new sensibility, this new like harmonic sensibility, that um, just kind of has become part of my, a part of my musical language. Um, so, it's just sort of like a, 
it's just a thing that kind of naturally happens for me, I guess. Awesome. Um, yeah, and and you said like, would you say the guitar is primarily like your your main instrument as far as like performance based stuff would be? Yeah, um, guitar is my first instrument, and um, for the first couple of years of writing, I I primarily or exclusively actually wrote wrote on on uh, on guitar, and then I got a MIDI controller, a keyboard, and then I started playing piano more, and and um, I've sort of like I still play guitar and use guitar in my work, but I've sort of gravitated towards playing the piano more. Um, mm. But when I performed, I, I I primarily played guitar for for the seven or eight years that I did it. Awesome. Um, have you ever like experimented and, and used uh, like more guitar based MIDI controllers? Like I know there's like Artie Phone or Artie Fawn. There's a, a company there that sort of makes something similar to that. But is there? Have you experimented with that side of stuff? Yeah, I had a Fishman Triple Play. And mm-hmm. uh, it actually got stolen out of my studio, <laughs> so oh, <geez. laughs> I never got to use it very much. But um, mm. I'm I'm into the idea, uh, and I I assume it's gotten better since I had one. So mm. maybe maybe someday I'll I'll grab one again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like uh, you know, as you were mentioning earlier, like being a fan of like new metal, sort of in high school and stuff like that. Um, do you do you find that you you are incorporating those sort of uh, elements into your own music like the elements of lincoln park and and queen and stuff like that yeah for sure i mean um um yeah like i said it, it's all sort of like it's all just kind of um seeps into me like through some sort of like listening osmosis uh mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know they're just things that certain bands do or things that happen in certain songs that i just will absolutely love and kind of gravitate towards and then i will try to channel that you know in some of my own music um and that i mean that is something that like you know hyperlight drifter uh, i tried to channel impressionist music because i i loved it um uh, for for a lot of it but then there's also like there are also pieces on that on that soundtrack where i was trying to channel like miles davis or mm-hmm. you know like bitches brew or just like mm-hmm. um I don't know. Like, uh, I I'll start writing something without any intention necessarily, but then something will come out that reminds me of something that I, that I like, and then I'll try to lean into it a little bit and, and see if I can kind of like expand upon that in, in, uh, and it will just kind of, you know, it'll, it'll just sort of evolve from there, I guess. Awesome. Um, and yeah, when you're, when, like when you're working on a new project, do you, do you sort of create like a full palette of sounds first or do you just sort of start uh, sort of up in the air for the most part and, and work towards sort of like a, a middle and stuff like that as far as like what your palette will be and stuff? Um, I, I've done both. I, I do think it's valuable to just write something blind. Mm-hmm. Like when you first come on to a project just to see where you're at and see where your people you're working for are at and, and start the dialogue. But um, and then based on that, I would start like actually building I would start building a library. Um, sometimes I will like I'll build the library as I write. And so, you know, I'll write I'll write something and I'll de- I'll have developed a couple of sounds for that piece. And then I'll just I'll add those to the library and then I may reuse them uh, in the future. Awesome. And so after after like doing that, that like four or five times, I've already got like, you know, 20 to 30 like go to kind of things that I can that I can use um, mm. 
and that definitely helps with soundtracks. Yeah. Um, do you do you use like modular and analog synths as well within your music, or do you stick mostly to soft synths? It's pretty much all software. Um, mm -hmm. I like using hardware. It's fun, but it's not very. It's not the most practical thing when you're trying to work on soundtracks. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I if I if I got to a place where I just like wanted to make music for fun and I created that space for myself to do that, yeah. I might. I might pick up like some hardware for sure. Mm. Um, and how is the experience for you um, when you're like versus scoring for video games and scoring films? Um, it's pretty different. I mean, um, the all the extracurricular stuff that happens in film is like is is a lot. It's a lot more to deal with than in games. Typically, there's mm -hmm. typically a lot more people involved, more parties involved, more politics. Um, typically, the timelines are shorter. So they're like burning money because there's a lot of people involved. And so there's a lot of pressure. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of self-preservation, uh, a self, you know, self-preservative type behavior. And sometimes it trickles down and it affects you. And it's not personal for them, but um, I take everything personally. So yeah. uh, it makes uh, it makes working on movies hard sometimes. Um, mm. I and I like came up working on independent games, which is like the most laid back thing ever. Uh, yeah. The, the the timelines are usually kind of long but it's usually just a few people and you know you can you can kind of have a verbal agreement for, for most of the time like, yeah i don't do that anymore i i always have a contract but um just the general the general sort of like um the general vibe is just more more pleasant more laid back mm. um yeah and uh and i noticed on your website as well that you're currently sort of only looking to work on sort of smaller projects that you said that take like you know a couple of weeks and stuff like that. I was just curious, is 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 that sort of a reason why just to just to sort of eliminate the uh, the constant back and forth and the big teams and everything? Um, not necessarily. I think it's more just that I'm trying to get ahead of myself, get ahead of my work. Um, hmm. I've been trying to create more space to kind of like reevaluate my career and figure out what I want to do next. Yeah. Uh, and so part of that is not making multi-year commitments. Mm. <laughs> It's very easy to say yes to something, and then suddenly you you've signed away like the next couple of years of your life. So, yeah. uh, I've been very like diligent about, um, you know, maybe not taking on as many things. Mm. Uh, yeah, and what's uh, like when you're, you know, sort of done working on on a video game or a movie and stuff like that. Um, what's the uh, what's the process for you as far as taking the music from those projects and like actually putting them into an album form? Ah. Uh. Um, yeah, so that process is actually quite variable. It depends on depends on the project, um, but generally, generally the music from a, a film or a game um, wants to take on a different form on the soundtrack. Mm. Uh, more so with games than movies. Sometimes with a with a movie score, you can kind of do a chronological uh, soundtrack, and it will work. Um, uh like um the soundtrack for triple frontier i i i that was i made that i think pretty much chronological but then mm -hmm. it follows and under the silver lake we're not chronological um it was more just about flow um so it, it really depends i think it depends on what for me i try to like derive meaning from the music and how the music flows mm -hmm. but while also like considering what the narrative context was for that piece um uh with a game some you know sometimes you're delivering 
the music in a non-traditional format. Um, so on Hyperlight Drifter, you know, we have it's it's not non-traditional for games, but um, you know, the music was all layered. Um, so I had to sort of like create like a like a static version. And same for Fez, I had to create like static versions of all the tracks. Um, mm. and so um, in a way, it sort of takes on its own pers- personality. Um, uh, but then you have games like Mini Metro, which is a game that I worked on where um, it's a subway simulation game, and none of the music is pre-recorded. It's all samples. Uh, mm. There's no like, um, there's no phrases or loops or anything. So to make a soundtrack for that is like much, much. It would be very, very different. Uh, and and I've been like on and off trying to do it for a couple of years, and it's it's pretty hard. Um, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. hard to take something that's so gra- so modular and like build it back up into like a listenable experience. Um, it, it's like trying to capture the essence of the game. Or am I basically creating remixes? And it's like, where is it going to fall? Uh, yeah. That sort of mm. um, yeah. And with like with working on on you know both video games and films, um, what what sort of like what sort of uh, approach do you like to take? Do you like receiving like footage from the film if there is any, and like art from the game and stuff like that, or do you just prefer reading like a script or a story? Uh, how do you like to approach that? Um, I like to have as much information as possible, um, so that I know what I'm, you know, so that I know what I'm getting into. Uh, and it it just helps me to make more educated choices when I'm, when I'm trying to come up with music. So I will ask for as many things as they have, um, scripts, uh, lookbooks, uh, footage. Um, if it's a game, a build would be, is the most preferable thing to get. Um, but also you want to see where things are going if the build is like pretty early because you can't always tell with an early build and it may change. Um, so just generally trying to have as much info as possible. And then also while I'm working, I like to get, I like to always have the newest version of things um, so that I can be reactive. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and I haven't, I haven't seen much as far as uh, with your music that I was able to find, but I was just curious if like, uh, if you've ever had, if you've ever done any like collaboration projects with, with uh, any other musicians and stuff like that, um, or, you know, on a film, on a project, an independent sort of album project? Yeah, I have done. Um, so uh, I have a, an album called Disasters for Piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I met this uh, uh, arranger of music on Instagram. Uh, his name is David Peacock, and he does a bunch of arrangement for, for video game projects. And uh, he was doing all these, he had this, all these little, like, sh- like mini arrangements of, like, um, video game music on piano. And I really liked his style. And so we started talking and kind of felt like it would be really cool to do a project together. And so we did um, we did this album, Disasters for Piano. And, um, you know, I let him kind of take free reign as far as like picking picking pieces that he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like super involved with the actual like editorial process um, and just like curating the performances and like, you know, just just trying to like steer it towards something that would take us both out of our comfort zone as, as, as instead of it being pretty much like in the zone for him and totally out of the zone for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we brought on a concert pianist to record the piano music that he had arranged. Um, so we had three different levels of piano ability on the project, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And then um, I brought in um, a friend of mine who I went to high school with who does, uh, who's mastered some of my records and also is a, does uh, is a mixing engineer producer. And um, he, 
uh, he he mixed the album um, and and he added some like I wanted to I wanted to experiment with like some effects and stuff um, because most concert piano type albums are very there's like one way to do it for like a lot of them they're kind of the same so yeah. I thought it would be fun to kind of mess with like you know more effects that you'd hear on a re- like a band record or something um, mm. like is it phasers and delays and lots of stuff like that so um, nice yeah and that's just I mean. I haven't done a ton of like large scale collaborations on music, but I've done a ton of collaboration across disciplines and with sound designers and, and, and in one-off capacities. Um, mm. So. Nice. Um, um, yeah. And, and I guess, as you mentioned earlier as well, like when you were playing live and stuff like that, you primarily use guitar. Um, and not that I could find that there was really anyone asking you, um, like what sort of uh, what what's your what's your guitar rig look like? What do you do you use live and in the studio? Does it change much? Um, I was playing the same. So I got a I got a Mexican Strat when I was a teenager, and I had it for probably like ten, twelve, thirteen years. But it got stolen, and so I had to uh, had to replace it. So now I have a PRS because um, I wanted to have something with a good whammy bar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, I don't really have much of a rig. I mean, in the past, I've had, like, amps. I had a really nice amp for a while. It was actually my grandfather's. Uh, it was a 67 Fender Vibrolux Reverb, like an amazing amp. But I was like, kind of young and naive, and I, I sold it. And um, that was a mistake. But and now I, um, when I play guitar, I mostly just use, you know, I'll use, like, amp modeling software or something. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and yeah, with uh, with film stuff, you've worked on uh, It Follows and Under the Silver Lake, both with uh, with David Robert Mitchell. And I was curious. I mean, you know, It Follows is more horror based, where Under the Silver Lake isn't. Um, and I was curious, like, did the process, but like, with you guys, change much between those films? Like, did the genre affects things and stuff like that? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Under the Silver Lake is more of a noir. There are like horror, there are some horror type elements or thriller type elements, um, mm. but it's you know very different kind of movie. Um, initially, I set out to try to create a new style um, without any sort of external influence, and I came up with some pretty cool music. But it wasn't what it wasn't what David was kind of imagining. He he really wanted to do something that was more classic, classic Hollywood sort of influenced, like mid century. Mm. And so um, we went back to we actually went back to the 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 format that we used on It Follows, which was David and Julio, his editor, would cut the movie with temp music. And um, uh, my my experience with them has actually been different than other you know other other projects with temp, just because um, they have such a especially Julio it has such like a a deep sort of um, uh, vocabulary and like knowledge of music, and so he always he brings out they bring out really good, interesting um, references, and um, so um, on it follows. You know that was my first time working to temp music, and um, it was a simpler process because the cues were all pretty short, and it was very clear what they were doing, like the beats that I needed to hit, that sort of thing. And so I could really just listen to it once or twice and understand what it was doing and then try to create something that was accomplishing the same goals. Um, mm. With Silver Lake, there are, there are cues that are like four or five, six minutes long and they, they're under dialogue. So it's much more 
uh, it's a much more subtle score. Um, there's a lot more emotional decision making for moment to moment, which made it much harder to do. And um, so I had to come up with a new sort of way of working, which for me involved um, using markers to um, take note of like just just sort of intuitive um, d uh, distillations of the temp music at moment to moment. So, you know, at one moment it might have something to do with the emotion and another might have to do with the tempo or the, the voicing or like the range or, you know, like I would just write like I would write a couple of words or whatever at, a, you know, different marker points. Um, and then I'd have this sort of like general guideline for like what the feel should be uh, without while still keep keeping maintaining enough distance from the original temp music that, you know, it, it's um, it's a new piece of music and it's not, um, you know, it's not just like a copy. So um, yeah. I, I really needed that structure because the style was so new to me. And, and also I was just having a hard enough time writing for orchestra, which is also new. Yeah. So it was it was a lot of things to do in one project. It was very challenging. Mm. Were you brought on pretty early in the in the process of those of either of those films when the when they like were in production? Yeah, I was reached out to early on both. Um, on it follows. Um, I I said no a couple times, and it was really early. It was way before shooting. Um, it was like right after the script had been written. Yeah. Uh, and then I came back like. God, it must, must have been like two years after I first heard about it. Um, and I ended up having to write the score in about a, a month because oh, wow. we to get into the Cannes Film Festival. Mm. Um, and I had thought we'd have six months to do it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so what ended up happening is um, I had plans to create more of a hybrid score with like other instruments. And it just didn't, uh, it didn't really make sense. Um, and it ended up being... A much better choice to do a synth score for that movie um mm. and under the silver lake was like my education it was like going back to school because not only did i learn all that orchestra stuff i also um spent time on set uh which i'd never done before mm. um and had all these like really unusual kind of experiences working on the movie um like there's this songwriter sequence in the movie where this like character who's supposedly written all these popular songs like goes through like 20 25 different popular pieces of music on the piano while he's having a dialogue scene with another actor mm. so that had to be like very meticulously designed and it had to be rehearsed with the actors who weren't musicians um uh that was really challenging and then um i also had to write a pop song for 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 the uh, silver sun pickups Mm. Um, and, um, we had a bit of a miscommunication cause I, we had talked on the phone and I thought that they knew how to read music. And so I set out to write this like more, you know, somewhat technical piece of music, almost like a Randy Newman or something like that. Mm. Uh, and, uh, they ended up not, not really being comfortable reading music. And so, um, they, they ended up creating a very sort of like distilled version of that. And it actually worked out really well. Um, uh, it was just sort of like a weird, it was weird <laughs> yeah. because of the way it unfolded. Mm. Um, did you, did you like, did you enjoy the process of, of working with an orchestra and stuff like that? And did the, did the approach for writing that stuff very much from your normal approach? Um, enjoy is probably not the right word. I'm, I'm like, um, I'm, I feel grateful that i had the experience and proud of the work that we did but it was really hard uh it was mm -hmm. very very challenging um it was definitely grueling uh 
I, I worked on that score for about a year. Um, and um, I forgot the rest of the question, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really hard. Um, <laughs> oh, how was it different? Um, I had to figure out a way to write. I had to figure out how to do it because, you know, I didn't have any of the, the traditional training. So I had yeah. to come up with my own way to do it. Um, and for me, that was kind of the shortcut, which was to buy a bunch of samples and just start writing with the samples and see yeah. where it took me. And then along the way, learn, try to learn more uh, about the individual instruments and what their tendencies are and like what their limitations are as far as like performance, breathing, range, dynamics, all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, which articulations are really possible and a lot of that, too, I mean, I have to be honest, is uh, was were things that I learned from talking to um, the score producer, Kyle Newmaster, um, mm. who was a who's a, uh, a veteran film composer who's done a lot of who's classically trained and done a lot of orchestra work. And um, David, the director, had worked with him on his first movie, Myth of the American Sleepover, and he suggested that we work together. Mm. And without him, I, I would not have been able to do the score because he he brought everything i mean he helped he helped with all the logistics like budgeting uh getting the contractor um bringing in like the librarian to do all the the parts preparation putting together an orchestration team like he the conductor i mean he he you know he really made all that happen so mm. and it allowed me to focus on just writing and um producing and arranging like you know just getting the sound that i wanted and um and of course he would you know he would he was a sounding board for me through the whole process, just, you know, making sure that I had what I needed to, to do a good job. Awesome. Yeah. It's definitely nice to have someone that's there helping you instead of just sort of being upset with what you're delivering and just not really contributing to much feedback. I mean, I was asking so much of myself to do that, to do the score. I mean, um, I was saying, I say that like normally on a project, I, I end up doing something that's like one step out of my comfort zone. And that, that project was like three or four because it was so many new things in one project. Um, mm. It was really kind of intense. Um, and, but that's, I mean, and like, I, I don't know if I would want to do that again, just because it was so demanding, but on the flip side, you know, I'm, I, I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of pride in, in, in the work and um, yeah. you know, it was, it was a very good feeling to, to know that, you know, I was, I was able to do that. And as well, um, I, I heard on on another YouTube video as well. I was watching uh, about you that uh, you were sort of originally considered as at least one of the composers for Stranger Things. And uh, I was just curious, like as you were mentioning earlier as well, like you know, not you know, not really wanting to commit yourself to you know multiple multiple year endeavors with with the same project and stuff like that. Uh, was was that sort of one of the reasons as well that you you didn't really want to go through with it? That was a part of it, but I mean, yeah, it was a part of it because I hadn't done TV before and I was like a little bit, I was a little hesitant to get into TV just because of the the scheduling and also, you know, working with a big studio um, mm. definitely made me hesitate as well. But um, to be honest, like I got that script not too long after it follows and, um, you know, so that's, I saw the thread there and I, I was like sensitive to not wanting to feel pigeonholed into a certain style um yeah. and the script itself was like cool i thought it was cool it was very spielbergian um and so i wasn't sure about that and then um they sent me 
they sent me a feature that they had made and I didn't really care for it. So um, that kind of put me in a, it put me in a weird spot. I mean, I thought about it really hard because, you know, it was a big opportunity, but ultimately I decided that between all that and also having like a lot of ongoing projects that I was already doing that it probably wasn't the best, the best move for me. Um, Mm. But, you know, there were times when it was like, it was kind of painful uh, because it just, you know, it was like the, it was like the, it's like breaking up with a girlfriend and then you see them everywhere or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like billboards, like, like Super Bowl ads. Like it was a big deal when it came out. So it was, uh, it was kind of yeah. wild. It was a wild experience. Mm. Um, and so with, with the Triple Frontier film, was that your first, uh, your first experience with writing for like a Netflix original film then? Yes. Yeah. It was my, my third feature, my first Netflix project, first time doing an action movie, first mm. time kind of working on a big studio project. Um, and, uh, it was, it was very different than, um, than the previous projects that I had done because the creative team had a very different style working, uh, than I was used to. Um, mm. the director works for the music editor. And so, um, the music editor is sort of like the conduit for a lot of the communication and, um, sort of clarification of, of musical, um, understanding and like terminology and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so in some ways it was, it was, it was nice to have a, an editor to work with, um, because it made turnaround for certain things quicker. But, uh, the flip side is that the, the process that they went through involved, um, it involved me writing more music blindly, um, to develop sort of a, a library of, of things to edit with. Uh, and so what ended up happening is that the creative team sort of ended up making a lot of like thematic choices, um, uh, before I could sort of react to it. And so it it was just a different kind of way of working that I wasn't used to. Like I'm used to being more involved with those sort of choices. Um, and so that was sort of the general dynamic of the project. And that's, and it was also, I was working remotely which I think for a film is a little bit harder to do than it is on a game. Um, mm. and so all of that stuff sort of contributed to making the project um, uh, challenging in its own way. Um, but there were some really fun um, things that we did. Like I got to work with Lars Ulrich, the drummer of Metallica. Um, yeah. And he's really cool. And I got to go to Metallica headquarters and that was like a really wild experience. <laughs> mm. um, and, uh, you know, we, re- we got to record, um, uh, uh, some orchestra, which is always super fun. So, um, yeah. so yeah. Awesome. And is, does, does Netflix really, do they affect the filmmaking process in any way that you were aware of? Like, do they, do they have much control? Do they give the, the creators quite a bit of freedom or? I think it depends on the project, honestly. Um, and you know, from my vantage point, um, I'm not totally, I'm not super privy to what goes on and that's kind of the, that's part of the thing about the process that I don't like is that it's just, there's so many layers. Uh, it, you get so removed from like decision-making that um, you mm-hmm. start to feel like you don't have enough agency to make the best choices for the work that you're doing. And so that's part of the reason why I, I hesitate to, to work on large, like corporate or studio projects. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess uh, I was going to move on to some, some, you know, some sort of more fun questions as well. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, with the uh, you know with the current situation having to be locked indoors for the most part, um, is there like any video games that you've been playing quite a bit or anything like that? Well, the most recent thing I've been playing is uh, a, a friend. A friend invited me to uh, go 
go through the original Halo uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> campaign <laughs> yeah. together, which has been um, it's been fun, but it's also been a slog at times. Uh, mm-hmm. I forgot how long some of those levels were. They're kind of insanely long, some of them. Mm. Um, and is there any like films or TV shows and stuff like that as well that you're you're watching? Um, not a ton. Um, um, I did start watching X Files, which I really like. And I, I can't believe I never watched it before. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, and what about like a, a dream project for you? Like, is there a specific composer or not composer, sorry, like director that you'd like to work with or like a certain video game series or film series or anything like that? Not really. I think my dream is to, to not work. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been, I've been working for other people for my entire career. And I think my dream is to like take a break and maybe figure out something that i want to do on my own awesome so i think i'm sort of moving in that direction right now mm. yeah do you, do you plan on eventually like stepping away from doing film and video game stuff as much and working on your own projects or do you still want to keep like a healthy balance between the two or i i, I try not to put a i try not to put like a put in a box too much but i yeah. i think that i will probably work on less uh mm-hmm. commissions um and then there may be periods of time where i need money or something like that or or i'm ready to kind of like dive into something and then i'll i'll try to i'll try to look for more opportunities like that um but right now i and and honestly for a long time i felt like i've been a little i've been pushing myself a little too hard and um that i need to like uh i probably need space to like figure stuff out yeah yeah i've i've definitely like just through talking to other people as well. Like it seems, especially with the music side of things, it's a very easy thing to do as far as just, you know, accept way too much work at any given time. And then you are just completely overwhelmed and it affects every project you're working on. Right. Yeah. It's such a hard thing to, to, um, scope properly because in theory, like objectively you could write, a, you could write a score for a movie like really quickly. But mm. the reality is that if you want it to be good, it's going to take, it could take a really long time. Um, and, and not like, and those hours that you spend are not easy hours. They're very, very challenging. So, um, so that, you know, I try to, (laughs) I try to remember that when I'm flippantly saying yes to a bunch of stuff. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, everything, everything takes a lot longer than you think. Mm. And do you, do you find that you end up you know sort of putting out work that you're happier with when there's a you know a time constraint on it like you said with it follows you pretty much had to score it all within a month like do you do you find that the product ends up being better that way or do you like having like the you know the the freedom of time to to work on the stuff um i think i honestly think it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter as much as i as it doesn't matter as much as i thought it did because mm-hmm. i think ultimately i do think that time pressure helps uh, in some very concrete ways, but you need to like I, I I need to get over this initial hump. Um, I need to basically like solve the generally I need to solve the the sound of the movie or the style before I can do good work. And so if I had like two weeks to do a score and I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to sound like, it wouldn't matter. Like I would mm. I would fail. Um, it. it, it with something like it follows, I just kind of got lucky. I mean, or I just, I just had like a intuition about it. Cause I was able to, the first cue that I wrote, like the first thing I even tried, like was in the, ended up in the movie. So 
yeah. sometimes we just like it's just the right project um mm. same thing happened with same thing happened with fez same thing happened with hyperlight drifter like the ones that work out are usually the ones where i just i don't know i just have like a i have a good sort of um intuition about it um and that's not to say that you can't make successful music without failing a whole lot because i've done that too yeah. But I guess from my perspective, like I I can only fail so many times before I get too discouraged to want to keep working on a project. So I need like I need I need a early victory uh, in order to stay um, emotionally motivated to work on a project. Yeah. And and with Fez, I, I remember on another another video I was watching, uh, um, you said that you sort of ran into the guy who was developing the game, or one of the two guys, I guess, from the beginning. But uh, one of the guys that was developing the game in in uh, Montreal when you're doing a show, and you sort of had to convince him to to let you do the the score for that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have to convince him per se, but um, they they were uh, he was at the show, and um, I think they might have been courting me to to contribute to the score because i think they wanted to do like a compilation mm-hmm. um but um i had talked to i had talked to renault the programmer at the show and i remember i remember saying that i thought that it would be better if one person did it and mm-hmm. you know with like a wink wink and a nudge nudge um yeah then you know it's at like very shortly after having that conversation it might have i might have even still been in montreal like i wrote adventure um mm-hmm. and uh I remember sending that and um, sending that to them. And, and I remember Phil loving that track, but also being like, uh, you know, I love this. Like, I think it captures the vibe, but um, I, I was imagining the music would be more ambient. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. We can't have mm. kind of up-tempo music through the whole game. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that, how that happened. Did you sort of have like, did you sort of have the, the feeling and the intuition that, the game was going to be as, as big as it was? Yes, because, well, the game, there was a lot of hype around that game, and it, it had already won awards before it even came out, yeah. <laughs> which is kind yeah. of ridiculous. Uh, mm-hmm. I think when I joined on to the project, it had already been in development for a few years, um, and I joined yeah. in, like, the last year of development, which is, like, mm. the perfect, it was, like, the perfect amount of time. And, um, you know, the game was, like, all there pretty much, there were some changes that came in, but it was mostly all there. And so it made it really easy to just kind of go in and basically be like paint by numbers, like go in and just like make, mm. make everything feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. I, I remember a couple of years ago, I saw the, like an indie game documentary that was sort of featuring uh, like braid super meat boy. And then, and then Fez and at least from the way the documentary sort of, <clears throat> you know, voiced it, it seemed like it was a very, very, taxing and stressing process on him and uh i was just curious like did that you know did did you sort of feel some of that and um at times yeah but for the most part it was we had a pretty amicable working relationship um you know i mean i i absolutely understand like Mm. i mean i haven't been through the same experience but i can i can only imagine like you know i i think you know he, he had up until that point i mean he had spent his entire adult life working on that game um, mm. uh, and so there was a lot, of, you know, and there was a lot at stake, I suppose, um, perhaps for him personally. Um, and, um, you know, further to that, I think something that I've learned over time is that there's a certain amount of danger and like over, over identifying with your work, because mm. if it doesn't go as well as you want it to, it can be like soul crushing. So it's, yeah. 
it's really important, I think, to find a comfortable balance where you appreciate what you do and you put you put your heart and soul into it, but you you don't put all <laughs> you make sure that you're you can still you know that you're not um that you're um that you're that you're going to be okay you know yeah out, so yeah yeah i mean there's definitely some people who do truly believe that you know for the for the sake of art you should really sacrifice your well-being and and you know your life for that matter and it doesn't uh at least to me and it seems as well for you it doesn't seem completely worth it so it's not the only choice that you have i mean that you have um yeah. but i mean you know the people who are in some in some you know areas of life the people who are the absolute best at what they do mm. are people who do that who make really yeah. who make honest sacrifices like athletes and stuff like you know yeah if you want to have a nice life you probably can't be the absolute best at something <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, have you seen the uh, have you seen the film whiplash no, I haven't. But I, okay. I, heard, I heard it's a little. Uh, <laughs> I heard it's not this realistic thing, but. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, definitely, it's definitely representing that uh, that taxing, you know, sort of pressure you're putting on yourself for the sake of art and music. But uh, but yeah, um, I was curious if there's anything else at the moment that uh, you know that you're currently working on that you're able to talk about, and if so, uh, what what would it be? Um, I'm involved in a couple movie projects, and I'm involved with um, uh, the next game from Heart Machine, um, okay. which uh, has been in development for a few years. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, you'll you'll hear more about that soon. Awesome, <laughs> awesome, cool. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for joining me once again, there, Rich. Uh, appreciate uh, you know giving away some of your time towards the towards the podcast for me and everything. So uh, yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure, Alex. Awesome. Have a good one. Take care. That was my conversation with Rich Rearland. You can find Rich on Instagram, and please check out his music on Spotify, Apple Music, and all other streaming platforms. If you have any other questions, comments, or if there's a composer you'd like to see on the show, please send an email to composersconcepts at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review. It really helps grow the podcast, and I hope you enjoyed listening. Take care.